0: When you don't teach people about investing, it's not like people are just not going to do it. When you look at like GameStop and AMC, you start seeing these meme stock crazes. People are learning from each other and the crowd effects in these markets are so incredible
1: everyone i'm annie dickerson and on behalf of the entire good egg investments team i wanted to welcome you to this episode of the life and money show the show where we talk about everything from investing to financial freedom to parenting traveling creating a life by design and everything in between and i'm here with my amazing co-host susan elliott susan why don't you start with sharing with everyone a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today
2: Yes, we hit on a topic that is so close to home for you and I, because we both have kids, we're kids ourselves, and we think <laughs> about that time. So really talking to everybody here about financial literacy and helping our younger generations learn more about finances early on. And what I love is that there's specific to parenting, maybe some tips that you can think about. Our guest today, Brian Curcio of Rapunzel, which we're going to get into more, too. And you'll hear him talk later on in the episode. He gave us some great tips about getting kids involved, but also touched upon ways that, you know, if we focus on teaching finances earlier on in the lives of everyone or at any point through adulthood, right, our whole society is probably actually going to benefit it. And he what he's doing, I think that it was in his final three questions to be able to promote financial literacy with a group that may never hear that was pretty powerful. So stick around to learn more about that.
1: Indeed. And for any of our listeners, before we dive in, because we're all kids at heart, we've all Mm -hmm. been kids. So it's never too late, better late than never. If you're new to the whole concept of investing, particularly if you're curious about real estate investing and passive real estate investing, where you get all the benefits of being a real estate investor without the hassles of being a landlord, a great place to start is on our website. We've got a page just for you. It's goodegginvestmentscom slash start. It's our start here page, nice and simple. And it takes you right from the beginning and it helps you to understand what this is all about, how you can get started, how to find the right fit for you and much more. So if you're in that place where you're getting started, go to goodegginvestments.com/start slash start. All right. Well, with that, let's start from earlier on before we get into our kids and money and how... Our listeners can help teach their kids more financial literacy and money skills. Susan, I want to know, when you were growing up, what did you learn about money?
2: Oh, gosh. I grew up in two households, my mom's and my dad's, and very different money vibes, but Mm. both like, not really supportive of learning about it, quite honestly. In my father's home, he was the penny pincher to the max, and so I developed this But in ways, too, where he was dealing with a lot of his family background and financial hardships, I'm sure, that came up with his family. He lost his dad really young, so his mom was supporting him and his two twin sisters and his other sister. And so I think a lot of that came into him just like always wanting to be thrifty in ways that sometimes was really embarrassing for me, like not tipping enough to our servers mm. and me feeling oh, like, oh my gosh, too. yeah, it's oh, mm-hmm. just like under I my know. skin. And ways that I understand now around respecting money and like treating the flow of money with excitement and love as opposed to just like fear and yeah. hate. I don't know. There was a lot of negativity around money. My other household, my mom and my stepdad, We grew up the very stereotypical middle class neighborhoods. I went to a good high school. It was always just, you're going to go to college. You're going to get a job. But at no point in looking back on it now, my stepfather was an engineer. My mom was a teacher. But I don't think we talked about money like one time. I knew that we were being supported. It was almost like because everything was just humming along just fine. We went on one beach vacation a year. I'm sure my stepdad got two weeks off a year for his entire career, which is preposterous these days. But we did that. We didn't go on luxury vacations. You know, we weren't extravagant, but because we weren't, there was also no elements of suffering. Luckily, I think it was just like humming along. Everything's fine. No need to talk about it. But I look back on that now and think I could have had I understood that he was contributing to his 401k that whole time, we could have talked about that. Mm-hmm. I think I wasn't well prepared to manage it on my own after I left the mm-hmm. house. In other words, from either home. How about you, Annie? Yeah. What did you grow up with money? You
1: How know, did you? It's grow interesting up with money? that you talk about those two different perspectives because I similarly had very different perspectives around money from both my parents and as well as the circumstances of our life too. So I've talked about this on the show before, but just for any listeners who are new, I was born in Beijing and then we moved to the States when I was four and it wasn't an intentional move. My dad was getting his PhD as an exchange student at Iowa State and we were just going to do a quick tour and then we were going to go back but the tim and square massacre happened a month after we got here so we were able to stay as political refugees so my parents decided to stay that right there created a huge change in our money perspectives and money situation because in china where you know we had extended family and a history there my parents were decently established middle class in beijing Not to mention that the cost of living, at least at that time, was much, much lower. And the government covered a lot of basics like healthcare and housing. So we were pretty set in Beijing. When we moved to the States and we decided to stay, it was a very different circumstance. My mom, who had been a nurse in China, she wasn't able to be a nurse here because of the certification qualifications. So she became a nursing aide. Um, which paid much lower. And my dad, after getting his PhD in sociology, which is not a very (laughs) practical thing, was searching for a job for a long time. And so all of a sudden, we went from middle class to fairly low, modest income. And so we were shopping at garage sales. We were offered free lunch at my school, like those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, I was four, five, and six at the time. So it wasn't like huge on my radar, but I could sense that money became a thing. It had never been on my radar before, but it became a thing in my life where all of a sudden we went to Walmart or Target and I couldn't get everything. And my mom would say, next time, we'll get that next time. Or we'd look at all the prices and we'd pick the cheapest one. Little things like that started to signal to me, okay, maybe we don't have enough and maybe we need to work together to get buy less and pull back. And so I kind of got that from a young age. And then when circumstances got a little bit better, my dad got a job, we moved to New Jersey right outside of New York City. and things were flowing a little bit better. and I sensed that too. And you know how they say that money doesn't change who you are, it only amplifies who you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got to see that firsthand because my dad changed a ton. My mom was always the penny pincher and she continued to be and she taught me a lot about saving. But my dad where he was a saver when we had to be, once we had money, he became a gambler. <laughs> Mm. And so that in my middle school and high school years I saw that dichotomy very clearly where my mom was saving 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 and my dad was just using money for these what I saw as kind of senseless endeavors to try to make more money in his mm-hmm. mind he was trying to make money through gambling and so my upbringing was really fraught with a lot of different money perspectives i'm kind of surprised that i came out like okay, decently okay on the other end of all of that. But yeah, it was a lot.
2: Yeah. It's really fun to look back into where we talk about money. And I think it's really essential too, to being quote successful in finances Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe your success is just being able to take care of yourself. Maybe it is reaching financial freedom, but if we don't kind of understand our money history, our money baggage, we're not going to understand where our fears come from around it or where our behaviors come from around it to be able to really like build the habits that we want to build in the future. So yeah. and then now thinking about that, and I'm sure you do this as well as so many of our listeners, like the types of habits and the things we're doing for our own kids. Mm. And the things we're saying, you said there, like you would compare the prices and say, oh, we're going to get this one Mm -hmm. this time because it's the lower. I catch myself talking to my daughter who's six. She'll be six in a week, actually, Mm -hmm. about like, oh, we can't afford that right now. And then I kind of have to step back and say, I don't want to use the word afford because I think we could buy that right now. But this is what I'm thinking about. And mm -hmm. I probably talk too much about it, but I'm really trying to like Give her a window into our finances without, you know, giving too much to her, but also not getting her scared about it, but also not, you know, you're just like, it can feel like a lot, like a landmine,
1: (laughs) (laughs) like a landmine,
2: exactly. And so our guest today, Brian offered some really great tips and resources for us to just start that process. What would you say is your go-to way of talking about money with your kids?
1: I mean, I think what you're talking about there, the little things about even the language that we use is so important. And it's been a learning process for me, a realization like as I use those terms, like we can't afford this or we'll buy this next time. And to really have that reflection time to think back on, you know, why did I say that or why am I choosing to say something different And I think it really gets to the values of money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, as Brian talks about, he and his partner have built this amazing company with lots of great financial literacy tools and resources for kids and their families. And all of that is super important. And there's a layer that only the family can bring in, which is your values, your personal values around money the child's teacher teaching them about that, because there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to your values around money. Because whether you can uh, afford to buy that thing is really about whether you choose to buy that thing. Mm -hmm. And so each individual family has to decide, is that thing that we're going to buy, is that important to us or not? And what are the reasons? And what do we choose to spend money on? How much do we save? Those are things that a school or an app can't teach, but there are things that a school or an app can teach. And I think we haven't even gotten there yet as a a society. Mm -hmm. We haven't even filled that gap. So I think the long-winded, I went on a tangent values. (laughs) I
2: like that because it's something that just the way that you talk to your kids about money, whenever money comes into the conversation to pause and say, what value am I placing around this interaction around money? Is this something where we're talking about the scarcity of money or the abundance of money or just the sort of intentionality behind where we're spending money and why we're spending it there? You mentioned Our philosophy is sort of around saving money, where we're putting that money towards. There's also this time of year, especially towards the holiday season, why we're giving and how we're giving our money. Those are different things to bring into your value conversation with your family. And your family doesn't even have to be kids, right? You can go back to your parents Mm -hmm. this holiday season and start to talk about these things. And it could start to bring up conversations. Maybe they were so ingrained with this idea that you don't talk about money that by you bringing it up and creating that safer space to say, mom, like, this is what I make. This is what I'm investing in. This is my plan. Like, tell me about how you and your partner did that. You and dad did that as you grew up. I've had some great conversations with my mom and my stepdad that way and My stepdad personally, sometimes I think he feels really just heard when I say, tell me about your investing, Mike, like this is exciting now. And he's just like, I think is like, oh, gosh, yeah, you want to talk about this? Because maybe it wasn't something that my mom really even involved herself in Mm -hmm. throughout our life. So there's ways to bring in the value conversation around money, no matter what type of family or friend structures you have around
1: here. I think that's such a great point to shed light because so many people, and Brian talks about this too, is that we don't talk about money. We go to visit our families. We go to hang out with our friends and money is often the last thing that anybody wants to talk about. And so it just perpetuates this cycle of fear, of uncertainty, of feeling left out, feeling like everybody else knows what they're doing, but you don't. And so I love that challenge to step out and start that conversation with your friends, with your family members. It can be with your kids as well, but to start to dissect and reflect on your own values around money Mm -hmm. by talking Mm -hmm. to those people around you, I think that's a great first step to heal your own traumas or your own fears around money so that you can then go and teach your kids about what you wish you had learned when you were. And teach yourself.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think I'm still learning all about financial literacy (laughs) and things that I need to be doing and taking track of. So diving into that is really important for all of us. I'm thinking specifically around things I want to teach my kids too, because as my daughter turns six in a week, she is going to start to get an allowance or work with our family bank. And I've got some ideas and structures around that. But I'm not going to give it away. Brian gave some really cool things that he did with his family, which I'm fully going to copy, including something involving books and reading, which my daughter is going to love because she's obsessed with it. And now even my one and a half year old wants to read books all the time. So stick around to hear what Brian says about that. But I'm curious, Annie, what are one or two things that you've done with your kids to bring money into their lives? Maybe this is more of like the nuts and bolts around saving and investing as opposed to the values.
1: So we've done a number of things over the years. My kids are now 10 going on 11 and seven and a half. So we've done a lot of things and we've done different things for the two of them. I feel like they came out with different yeah. thoughts or philosophies around money. Like we tried to do the same things and it didn't work for both of them. Right. And good point. Right? You don't it's, have to do the same thing with both yeah. kids. Here's yeah. a really simple example with my older one when he was little, we'd give him like $5 to go in and spend at the store. And he would hold on to that $5. Like it was life or death. Like nobody was going to touch that $5. And he very carefully handed it to the checkout person. And, you know, it was like very important and meaningful to him. With our younger one, I remember we were in the store and I turn around, I'm like, where's your $5? (laughs) And she's like, I don't know, did I have $5? And I'm like, the piece of paper you gave me, mom?
2: I don't know. Oh my gosh. Totally. I was that person. I was like stashing little 20s in jars in my room. Yeah. And then not knowing where they were, but being like, I'm going to find that later and it's going (laughs) to be
1: wonderful. (laughs) So like a little secret, like the $20 you left in your winter coat from last year. Exactly. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like chapstick and $20 in my ski coat. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But because of that, we noticed from an early age, they have very different, I guess, money readiness is more what it is, is, you know, we could hammer it into our younger one all we wanted, but she just wasn't ready. And she's still in some respects, not ready. And so we're kind of letting her take the lead. And we're here with the information and the education and the resources when she's ready. But our older one, has been ready from a very early age. So even I think when he was seven or eight, he invested $100 of his own money into a fix and flip with us. We had wow. to expedite the turnaround a little bit and amp up the returns a little bit to make it like exciting <laughs> right. for him but which was a great um, point that Brian brought
2: up if yeah, you get kids yeah. into this early that they get to see that doubling That's cycle right. they get to see their money working and then be motivated to do it. I'm glad you exactly. figured out a way to do that with your kids exactly. in the real estate world
1: too. Yeah. 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 So he has invested with us after that fix and flip. He actually just invested $800 of his money. Mm-hmm into the hotels that we just acquired a few weeks ago. So he'll be cash flowing on that. And so he's seen that firsthand and he's like a planner. He's thinking ahead to Mm -hmm, like, okay, mm -hmm. when I leave the house and I go to college, I want this amount of money in my bank account. And so he's very much a planner. So the two kids are very different. And so it keeps us on our toes because we got to adjust our parenting and our philosophy around it too.
2: (laughs) Cool, cool. Well, we're still in the early stages and haven't, like I said, we're just about to make a more kind of our first attempt at an official practice around money. But for now, at least with my daughter just talking about that mommy has to work, I have to work so that we can pay for this house. And I point out the things like every month we pay for that and we pay for those lights, you know, the Christmas lights, we pay for the food, we pay for your school, we pay for your Spanish class. And we love it. We're happy to do it. And there's just like connecting some of these dots, exactly. I think is really helpful that money is behind the scenes in all of this. One thing I want to start doing, which i I'm referenced in our call with when our talk with Brian here, was that we go through a toll bridge weekly yes. to get to the other side of the river where I live. And we have, you know our windshield pass. And I say this, I want to start actually paying that money to the toll booth operator yeah. <laughs> because I want her to see that every time we go over this bridge, sweetie, it's $2. But I also get a discounted rate if I use my breeze bypass. <laughs> Maybe I'll save that for other toll bridges and just talk to her every time we go under that breeze by and say, there goes $2. Like, But yeah. it's hard. We talked about that too with the digital money age and spending yeah. money. We pass over this credit card. It means a little bit different. And there's ways, and this is what Brian I think is doing with Rapunzel. I'm really excited to explore it more to like even in the digital format, see those numbers and see what's happening behind it. Getting kids into investing, getting kids understanding these concepts to put real meaning to them in a place where it's rarely that I'm handing over a 50 physical thousands yeah. dollars right. to invest these <laughs> days. I mean, not rare. That is never. A it's a challenge case. you've got yeah. the
1: briefcase chained to your wrist and you walk it into <laughs> <laughs> or mail it even worse <laughs> Yeah. oh my gosh there'll be like a big box of like all these stacks please of let cash. me know when that arrives <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh but yeah it reminds me just real quick before we dive in to the conversation with brian it reminds me of adam carroll we had on the podcast ages ago But he did a TED Talk about this Monopoly experiment he did with his kids. He went to the bank and got the exact currencies to play a game of Monopoly. And he gave his kids the actual dollars to play Monopoly with. Spoiler alert, they made very different decisions with real money versus paper money. That's a good tip. I love it. So anyway, there's lots more tips and advice and resources in this conversation with Brian Curcio, co-founder of Rapunzel. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Fantastic. Well, Brian, Start us off. I know you've done some amazing things. So, start us off. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you and your high school best friend came to create Rapunzel. Yeah, it's
0: been a pretty incredible journey. My partner Miles and I we met freshman year of high school. Our lockers were four apart from each other, and we bonded <laughs> with the fact that we were both teen investors during a year that it was kind of a little omnipresent during 2008 in the financial crisis. Mm. So. I mean, it was the headlines every day, but Miles and I really geeked out over kind of what's going on in the stock market. And for us, it was kind of looking at in the context of a national housing crisis, you had stocks like Apple or Facebook and some of these companies that for us, we were loved as teenagers. um, Sure. Yeah. That were down 30, 40% just because of the overall market. And so for us, it was kind of a blue light special. I mean, we really had a fun time and it was kind of reassured us like, hey, you guys know what you're doing, even though we didn't. We were trying to and reading what we could. And so Miles and I, there was no plan to go into financial education at that point. We were very much set on let's go into Wall Street, let's make tons of money. So we stayed friends and senior year of college, Robin Hood was starting to gain a lot of popularity. And so for the first time in our lives, we started to see all of our friends start to invest. And The story that always stuck out to us was one of our friends said that instead of buying lottery tickets, they were now going to buy stocks the day before earnings. And that was what they viewed as investing. And it was like, wait, wait, ooh. (laughs) It was like, oh, there's a better way to do this. So that was where the idea for Rapunzel was born, which was the idea of having a gamified investment simulator where students can simulate $10,000 stock and crypto portfolios and then enter them into national scholarship competitions. And so just really trying to provide a more educational pathway into kind of financial markets and recognizing that a lot of times this isn't taught at school. And so you kind of have this generational game of telephone that if your parents didn't learn about financial literacy, you're most likely not going to. And so the idea was how could we create something that's fun that kids have an opportunity to win scholarships, but also trying to like reinstill these life skills that kind of should be taught at every
2: school. I'm so curious. How then did you come across it? By the time you're in high school and you're already playing with stocks, you and your friend, was that something that your parents happened to teach you at a young age?
0: Yeah. So Miles and I kind of had two very opposite experiences. So I grew up on the north side of Chicago. I had two investment banking parents. So it was just constantly talking about it. at the dinner table. <laughs> Yeah. Then Miles grew up on the south side of Chicago and attended a elementary school aerial community academy that was founded by Arnie Duncan, former Secretary of Education, and John Rogers, who at the time was the founder of the largest minority-owned asset management firm in the country. Mm -hmm. And so they started an elementary school where they wanted to bring financial literacy in at first grade. And so Miles's schooling was, I was like, when we learned about it in high school, I was like, wait, what? So in sixth grade, uh, Nuveen Investments gave them the school or each class got $20,000 and then the students sat on an investment board deciding how to invest the money and then by 8th grade they split their earnings and so that was money they could spend then while in high school so
1: so cool wow <laughs> miles had
0: like exposure to it the way that i think we now advocate like this is how schools should be learning i mean there's really no more real world project based opportunities than when you start incorporating money but a lot of our friends obviously didn't go to that elementary school or didn't have parents in investment banking in it. Yeah, it just never kind of came up for them. Mm-hmm.
2: So why is financial literacy? Why does it help to do it that early? Why couldn't someone just say in starting out in college, say, OK, I need to figure out investing. I'm just going to learn it now versus someone who has been exposed to it like your friend Miles or like the people who are using Rapunzel. What is the difference there? Why is financial literacy important from an early age?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's initially, it's just the value of compounding that if kids can start earlier and start kind of when they go into high school, even with smaller amounts of money, you'll essentially be able to have an extra doubling cycle. And I think what we're seeing as well is like a lot of kids aren't going to college, but even kind of if you're not learning about it, you don't know when you get your first job. It's not something that you're supposed to be like retroactively learning. It's kind of unbelievable that everyone in the country has a shared experience of their first paycheck and then looking at it and going, wait, but why do I only get this amount? And so it's kind of preparing kids for those realities and understanding it. It's, we do a lot of work trying to help increase diversity in financial services specifically and creating career pathways. But we really try to explain to students that these are much more life skills. And so kind of starting to understand them early and understanding ideas like opportunity cost or managing a budget they're really important life skills to start earlier. And they're really conducive when trying to teach math. So it's kind of trying to mm-hmm. incorporate good learning concepts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. What you said, just like squeezing in an extra doubling cycle too, because of how long it can take and that boring middle, what you hear a lot about in the financial independence community of just like, you're just kind of trucking along and investing, but you haven't really seen the rewards. It can be really easy to lose progress in that first five to 10 years when you're not seeing the big gains, but yeah, if you start when you're in second grade, you're going to, by the time you're in high school, be pretty excited about that. And then how many people, like you said, will get that first paycheck and don't understand even what's being pulled out from it, but then also don't understand that they have to maybe opt into investing at that point. And they don't maybe even know it then.
0: So- well, So And I think what we've seen is when you don't teach people about investing, um, it's not like people are just not going to do it. When you look at like GameStop and AMC, you start seeing these meme stock crazes. And I think a lot of that is people are learning from each other and the crowd effects in these markets are so incredible. But yeah, just starting earlier. And I think When you have a good financial habit, it's really hard to break it. And so I think Mm -hmm. once you start it and get it kind of into your life and just getting this idea of dollar cost averaging, low cost index funds.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. So you're talking to two moms right now (laughs) of young kids. I think our kids range from like one to nine, maybe. I'm not sure how old your oldest is. But what can parents do to start this? So maybe we get involved with Rapunzel with our kids, but what are some habits? I like that you just pulled out the word habits there that we can do as parents to teach financial literacy to our kids. So even if let's also talk, you know, Annie and I like to talk about investing in money a lot. But what about those parents who don't feel financially savvy themselves and the schools don't cover it? Where can parents start? Yeah. So, I mean, I think
0: there's a ton of resources online. We've prepared some financial literacy tools for parents and kind of creating that option of just teaching your kids directly. But I think it's a fine line between like, you don't want to commoditize everything in your relationship with your
2: kids. Um, Oh yeah. You're speaking to the choir here. We know. I'm like, also, how can you teach my kids this? Thank you. (laughs) But I'm not the one always saying, save your money.
0: One of the things when I was growing up and it didn't tarnish a love for reading was I had a little checkbook and I would carry this checkbook around everywhere. And whenever I received, and so I would get a dollar for every book and I would try to negotiate like what about smaller books and some books just didn't qualify. And then larger books, you could get maybe a dollar 25, but having that little booklet around, I mean, that was my initial budgeting and saving. And it was like, I remember being in a Best Buy. I loved voice for quarters. When I was a kid, it just blew me away. And it was like, well, it's 1995. So I was like, okay, I got to read 20 books. And we went to the store and go to check out, and it's 2275. And it's like taxes. And I was like, well, mom, you pay the taxes, right? It's like, no, I don't pay the taxes. You pay the taxes. So I think
1: trying to just have to like, that. Call world. my mom and be like, hey mom, could you pay my taxes? <laughs> exactly. I like that tactic.
0: I'll never forget it. Cause then I had to leave without the voice recorder. It's like, no, three more books. Mm, okay.
1: Good for her. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know.
0: And now after working in schools, I have no idea how she held the line. Cause the number, of times, oh, it's okay. You can- yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> totally. <laughs> But those real world examples, I think, are like we were always as kids, we were always in charge after getting a haircut that we were supposed to go give the tip to the hairdresser. And so understanding Mm. just different pieces of where individual's income comes from, I think those aren't really commoditizing, like beyond paying for chores. I don't know. In the classroom, we've seen some really cool models where they're kind of creating like a classroom economy. I haven't thought too much about how you do that in the house until, cause I've seen the other side where I have some little cousins where you can't get them to get off the couch without <laughs> incentive, Mike. the mobile app generation.
2: Those are great tips. I like that you kind of gave a real nitty gritty tip, like your checkbook example, but brought it back out to like, this is budgeting and saving. So there's like these bigger financial literacy concepts that maybe all parents can think of investing budgeting and saving where does money come from your tip example was so good there and then think of like what's one way i can show my kids that or like peek behind the curtain where does money come from how was this exchange even just like putting physical dollar bills in their hand i find that sometimes i want to help my kid my daughter pay but i'm just paying with a credit card and like or we're going through the toll booth constantly in my town and It's just like something that happens without us even talking about it. So how can you bring it back? Yeah. I want to go through and like hand $2 to the man. Every time we go across the bridge, sweetie, it's $2. Those are great. It's
0: beneficial. I think it's harder and harder now as money becomes more digital too. Yeah, exactly. With all the studies coming out that we spend money faster on physical, on cards than we do. Mm -hmm. when We have the actual cash.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow. Neat. This is great. I mean, I'm already at the point with my six year old where we're going to be introducing sort of her allowance system. And I want to integrate in some investing. And I've got a tip from a friend that, like, you have to speed up those cycles so she can actually see what's happening with compounding, especially at an early age. So, our family bank, where she's actually going to earn monthly interest instead of annual interest, for instance, so that she can see that grow. Would you have any other tips for parents to be able to set up their systems with their kids? Or maybe it's something that Rapunzel provides too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Rapunzel has a simulator, so it's helpful to show growth and just Mm. like, I think, gaining experience with it. It's a little challenging to go before kind of fifth, sixth grade, just understanding the basics of it. But I know at an earlier age, so there's two ways. I mean, you can kind of be teaching the generational wealth and just dollar cost averaging and maybe condensing the cycles. But another cool way of just making this like logical connection to view the world through more of a financial lens is picking a company that the kids really love, could be like Roblox, and just buying a couple shares or buy fractional shares, buy $20 of it. And I think that kids really respond well to the idea of ownership. And it's like, no, these shares, you own a piece of Roblox now. And even if it's not growing, the price will definitely change each week. And so I think it creates an interesting way to kind of support kids reading more with kind of like, why do you think the stock's down 5%? And if you're a parent out there who's like, well, I'm not sure I would know the answer. The greatest news is that the people on Wall Street also don't know the answer. So it's not like there is a right answer to it. But I think working through that with the student, it's great critical thinking. And actually help develop the financial literacy side on the parents too. I think just more immersing yourself in it.
1: I want to know, how did you guys come up with the name Rapunzel? And what does it mean to you?
0: Yeah. So the summer before my senior year of college, I was working at a hedge fund in New York and Miles was working at a bank in Chicago. And our bosses ended up talking on the phone about some potential investment that one of the firms didn't want to invest in, but the other should. And we called each other that night and it was this epiphany. It's like, you get told every day of your life, don't talk about money. It's rude to talk about money. It's bad to talk about how much you make. But the richest people out there, the people who control money are talking about money every day. And it's almost like these high returns of Wall Street are perched in this ivory tower that's inaccessible to ordinary investors. And so the idea of Rapunzel was allowing every investor kind of climb to financial freedom.
1: Ah, I love that! What a great visual! Yeah, that ivory tower just—it
0: was a couple months uh... after Robin Hood was gaining traction, so Uh fairy tales were definitely being thrown around.
1: There you go. Smart. And how about your friends who were investing in the stocks before they went public? Have they gone back to lottery tickets or are they using Rapunzel now?
0: They're doing a lot better, actually. Yeah. Good. So We've a lot, We've had a lot of the friends graduate through Rapunzel and it's been really cool to get texts from friends of, hey, I've been using this for a couple of months and now I'm opening a brokerage account. Um, I mean, the music to my ears when I respond like, oh, what are you investing in? It's just like, I'm just dollar cost indexing. It's just oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, thank God! I'm like, amazing. Because I really think, and that's the only thing I just hammer home is the stock market returns an average of 10 to 12% per year. The top hedge fund executives who earn over 20% in one year has no correlation to if they can do it the following year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can take more risk and you can make more returns, or you could just be settled with 10%. And every seven years, seven and a half years, the money you've invested is going to double. Um, it's kind of like a cheat code for your money and everyone seems to want to do the fun stuff and like Wolf of wall street and this romanticized version of investing and get rich quick. But if you have the patience, it's almost a surefire solution.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the same Mm -hmm. in real estate. We have a lot of real estate investors and, um, you know, it's the same. Everybody wants to be the the one person who discovers that one magical ticket, the cheat code to go farther, faster. And really it's just about, nope, you just go one building, one syndication yeah. at a time, and you just wait <laughs> and you just get the the small checks first and then you build it up and then you invest more. And so I think that's such a smart lesson. It's not the sexy answer that a lot of people want, but you know, it's what'll get you to that end goal. So Fantastic. All right, Brian. Well, we've covered a lot so far, but to wrap it up, are you ready? We're going to move into our life and money show spotlight round. We're going to ask you three questions. We ask all our guests. You ready?
0: Okay. Let's do it.
1: All right. Fantastic. So the first question is about your life and money. So tell us a little bit about, tell us one thing actually that you're doing to live a meaningful and intentional life by design.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a shameless plug, but it's connected to what we're doing with Rapunzel. But one of the things that Miles and my partner and I have gotten really involved with in this past year is we're actually using the Rapunzel platform and curriculum and teaching basic financial literacy in um, Cook County prison system. And so we're working with 18 to 35 year old nonviolent offenders, um, essentially providing these basics of Not even talking about investing as much as just basics of banking, credit cards, and realizing that everyone has a good, nice, demonized version of crime without understanding opportunity cost and like economic opportunities. And so I think providing the financial literacy, um, it's cool when you go into some schools and kids don't want to listen. You go into the prison and everyone's sitting there like, you want to talk about money? Like, let's talk money. So that's been really (laughs) fulfilling this past year.
1: Wow, what an empowering thing and such an amazing way to give back to give that population something to grasp onto and some like some real world skills to be able to get themselves up and out of their whatever situation that they're in and to create a better life for themselves. So you're paying not only creating fulfillment in your own life, but paying it forward and allowing others to seek fulfillment for themselves. So I love that. All right. Second question is about others' life and money. So share with us one life or money hack, a tip, a resource, a book, something that has helped you on your path that you think might help others as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think when we started Rapunzel, it was the idea of trying to replicate The friendship that miles and i had in high school at scale and one of the things was i mean we started by just looking at stock prices and writing down stocks that we think we should have bought and then checking how much money we would have made so i think using a simulator um, of some sort of just to really get your feet wet um like the best the worst thing that can happen is you lose all your simulated money and that's a lot better than trying it with your real money and then my favorite author to recommend if once you're feeling kind of understanding the basics and all of the Michael Lewis books, if you're trying to understand more of the ins and outs of finance and Wall Street, I loved those in high school and
1: college. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly you were ahead of your time, but yeah, we'll definitely include some of those in the show notes. And also, that's such a great tip too, is to go back and don't just look forward and have to wait and wait and see what happens with stocks and certain companies, but go back and look at the historical performance and see you know, how it actually did over time. That's one thing that I did when I first got into real estate. I remember back when I was in high school, I wasn't as money brave as maybe you were. I was like, I think this investing thing is a thing, but I don't know how to do it. And I don't want to lose my money. And so I remember Google went public when I was in high school. And I was like, I know I should buy this stock. I think I could do it. But what if I lose money? And how do I do it? And where do I go? And so I didn't. But one of the first things I did when we launched Good Egg Investments, and we started helping other people invest in real estate is I went back, and I said, well, had I invested in Google during that time, would it have been done better or worse than real estate? I think that's such a great tip to go back and look at historical performance. All right. Final question is around the world. So tell us one thing that you're doing. You already shared one thing, but if there's another thing you want to share about how you're helping to make the world a better place.
0: So Rapunzel does a national scholarship competition each school year. So we have close to 50,000 students from across the country participating in an investment competition from January through April, and it's free for high school students to sign up. Now started to realize is trying to go younger. So we're building out a financial math uh, middle school curriculum, kind of really teaching interest rates through percent teaching percentages through interest rates. You could teach compound growth with exponents. And so trying to make more contextualized math experience. Cause I think the numbers that are coming out are just really, really startling with math proficiency. We got to do something about it. I think financial literacy won't matter if kids can't add. And so I think that's where we're really trying to kind of bring programming younger for students.
1: Yeah. That's you got to give them those real world problems like nineteen ninety five for video recorder, $3 for taxes. What is your total? So right. <laughs> I love that though, that you're giving them real world problems and bringing them back younger and younger and building this out. And 50,000 students, that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on Thank that you. huge growth. I'm definitely going to get my kids on it. So speaking of which, tell our audience if they were interested for their kids or even for themselves, where can they go to sign up? Where can they go to learn more?
0: Yeah, it's super simple. Uh, you just, so it's Rapunzel without the E, R-A-P-U-N-Z-L dot com. And it's got everything in there to kind of, you can set up either through the mobile app or through the website. And it'll kind of walk students through their first trade and explain why they're building a portfolio and they'll be entered into the scholarship.
1: Fantastic. Well, for everybody listening, definitely check that out. Brian Curcio, co-founder together with his best friend, Miles of Rapunzel. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Brian.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Annie and Susan.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks.